and welcome to Literary Merit, the show where we tell you what media has value. Spoiler alert, it's all of it. Also, spoiler alert, we'll be discussing spoilers as usual, so here's your warning. I'm Ashley. And I'm the Alex. The one and only. The only one. <laughs> I'm the only real one. Like Tigger. Like Tigger. <laughs> and we're going to start with 5-Minute Masters, which Alex is so ready I'm for. I'm so ready, except for I need to switch my document. <laughs> He's almost so I'm ready. almost so ready. I'm so prepared, but not ready. Okay. <laughs> so for today's 5-Minute Masters, I have decided to tell you how to become a Jedi Master. Woo! So I am in full Star Wars mode. It's insane up in here. So much Star Wars. I'm forcing it down your throat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, you're downstairs. We're watching Star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So in order to become a Padawan. uh, So a Padawan is a Padawan learner, a Jedi apprentice, um, or a Jedi in training, referred to as a Force-sensitive adolescent who has begun one-on-one instruction with a Jedi Knight or Master outside of the Jedi Academy. So you're not just like sitting in the... You're not, you're you're not, not in a, school anymore. Yes. You're, you're, you're apprenticed yeah, now. Yeah, you're apprenticed. It's like independent study. It's like... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's kind like, of a thing we don't really do anymore, but yeah. very much mm-hmm. like a traditional apprenticeship. Well, yeah, which is nobody does Jedi training anymore. Right? It's really falling <laughs> out. Like, the, just cer- certain kinds of, you know, practice just... You know, they don't do it like they used to. I know. Just like people in their cell phones. Just killing Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Just vibing. <laughs> no cell phones in sight. Just. So in order to become a Padawan, you start off as, you know, the younglings, the cute little younglings that we see in some of the prequels. They're babies. You have to take the initiate trials. So the first test in the initiate trials is designed to test one's knowledge of the, knowledge of the Jedi code. Okay. So it's like a quiz. <laughs> sure. The second test is... Uh, depending on what time period it takes place, because obviously the Jedi have been around for a long time and they have different methods. Mm-hmm. And also depends on what is canon versus what is in the, I think it's like legacy or legendary um, canon. So they're like different, two different sets of canon. I just put sort of the general stuff because I, it's five minute masters. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so then the second test is either building a lightsaber um, or showing your technique with meditation and or using your lightsaber without your sight. So an example of that would be um, in uh, the, A New Hope yeah, when, when he's, when he's the, fighting the little the laser little droid with his helmet thing. on. Yeah. Um, and then the third test, sometimes initiates are assigned a uh, to perform a specific yet simple task, such as solving... Okay, so this is a, the much older order would do the, do it this way. Solving a judicial case. <laughs> right. Or providing aid to a citizen in need. Like a Boy Scout. Um, however, the Jedi Order of Dantooine uh, requires initiates in the order to complete a task to see the dark side for themselves as a way to conquer it. So it's mm. sort of like sort of a self-reflection kind of thing. That's kind of like what um, Luke went through when he went into the Kind cave of that, but his is, his is the next sort of thing. That's mm. his night test. Mm. Um, because it's way more intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think for the initiates, it's more of like... Oh, understanding that everyone has a dark side. Right. Um, and it's something you always have to be diligent about. Yes. Whereas the knights, so in order to become a Jedi knight from a Padawan, you have to take 
a much harder trial. Right. So this is the test to become a knight. A trial of skill, which is numerous displays of lightsaber technique. Uh, the main thing is that the battle master, uh, the main thing the battle master looked for when judging a potential knight was their ability to avoid distraction through self-discipline. So like if somebody's shouting at you, like you can still, you know. Yeah. Um, and then there's the trial of courage. Uh, so the council would simulate a dangerous mission in the trials chamber or send a student on an actual mission. Um, these tests had the potential to be deadly and extremely challenging, illustrating why the council did not let just anyone take the trials. Mm. So a lot of times, um, depending on how they do in the trial of the night the, or the Jedi Knight trial, like you don't get to be a full knight. Like you can go be like a steward or like yeah do other like jedi go to a regular military Mm -hmm. and just be like kind of neat like right because it's dangerous and like they don't want you somebody like who doesn't know how to handle their shit with a lightsaber right um and then there's the trial of flesh Hmm. uh it was um the most trying test given at the temple involving and the apprentice overcoming great physical pain hardship or lost lost the test sometimes resulted in death or dismemberment Mm -hmm. Um, the order subjected its apprentices to burst of, en- so they used to uh, subject them to a burst of energy de- uh, applied directly to the skin, known as the burning. Ooh, Jedi, you're fucked up, man. Uh, during the Clone Wars, Padawan Anakin Skywalker lost his right forearm during a duel with Count Dooku, mm-hmm. as we all remember. Um, while this was out of recklessness, Master Kenobi convinced the Council to accept this as his trial of flesh. Hmm, Obi Wan. Right? Cutting corners. And that's why you have a Sith Lord on your hands. Yes. Oi, <laughs> Obi-Wan. Oi. You could have done better, son. I mean, like, who wouldn't want to say, like, oh, he's missing an arm. Better make good use of what happened, but still. Right. But, like, that's not what it's about. Yeah. He got angry and made a mistake. Yeah. That's, like, literally the opposite. Right. <laughs> Um, and then the final trial is... The... Obi-Wan was a really bad master. He really was. <laughs> <laughs> he did a bad job. Right. Um, the last trial is the trial of insight. Um, so it was installed in the trials program after noting that while a Jedi could take down a Sith, they could be undone by common thieves. <laughs> um <laughs> So this test helped Jedi see what was really in front of their eyes through the use of the Force, um, seeing through illusion, evaluating an individual's true persona, and unveiling lies that are essential to a successful mission. So, like, uh, intuition. Mm -hmm. So you're not just, like, there's, like, just so focused on your mission that, like, somebody just jacks your lightsaber. Yeah. (laughs) And then after you successfully get all of those trials, you get knighted. Yay! Um, so it's a formal ceremony, um, and depending on you know which era it was, it's either a grand master and some masters, or like the Jedi Council. Um, the formal opening of the ceremony welcomed the participating masters and focused their minds on uh, on why they were there. We are all Jedi. The Force speaks through us, through our actions. The Force proclaims itself and what is real. Today we are here to acknowledge what the Force has proclaimed. Um, then the Grand Master would call the Padawan by name and bring their lightsaber down above uh, each of the kneeling student's shoulders. So like, like, a like the queen. Yeah. Um, and then say, by the right of the council, by the will of the force, I dub the Jedi Knight of the Republic. Hmm. Um, and then to be a master, just sort of like, yeah, like, yeah, we decided you, you, you get did it. enough. Yeah. 
You just get sort of voted in. Yeah, it's like, so, so they say the rank of masters is bestowed upon very few Jedi Knights in every generation, as such masters make up the smallest percentage of order membership. Uh, the most common path to this rank is to train and elevate several Padawans to the rank of Knight, typically one right after another, and have all of them successfully pass their Jedi trials. If one did not wish to train several students, a Knight could choose to undergo a modified version of the trials to, of knighthood, so like a harder version of those tests mm-hmm. they took earlier. Huh. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like with with Anakin, he just like... They just scooted him through. They just like... Yeah, they just waved him through. It's just, like, that's not right. Well, because <laughs> they knew of the prophecy. <sighs> prophecy. Right, the fucking prophecy. Um, And so they were like, okay, we need him on our side because he's like the chosen one or whatever bullshit. Um, And so they were like... They just rubber stamped him. Yeah. well then fucking rubber stamped him. And not only did they rubber stamp his knighthood, they also let him on the council, even though he wasn't a master. Do not grant you the rank of master. Right? (laughs) Oh my god. Like, just a fucking load of bullshit. And he was just cranky about it. Yeah, because he's cranky about everything because he's... Fucking Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. Okay, well, enough about Anakin. Okay. <laughs> What's your five-minute masters? My five-minute masters. Okay, so um, because of my job, I deal with sheet music a lot lately. Um, and I was curious about um, the history of these instruments that are all in the orchestra, um, specifically the violin, because I know that, like, there's sort of a lineage of stringed instruments that the violin comes from, but I wasn't super familiar with what they are, so I decided to look into it, and it's very interesting, um, because though the earliest evidence for the existence of the violin, um, actually came from the 1530s, um, they, the, like, their sort of ancestor instruments date way back. Um, so they're, uh, they're likely to have been developed from some other string instruments from the 14 and 1500s, including the VL, um, which is sort of a medieval violin with, like, five strings, um, it figure eight shape body, you know, kind of similar, but it, uh... It just sort of had a weirder, a different sound, and it was a little bit sort of bulkier. Yeah, less precise, less artisanal. <gasps> but yeah, also just sort of bulkier. Yeah. Um, uh, there's the uh, Ribeck, which um, is another medieval string instrument. It's a little bit smaller, uh, at least in depictions that I've seen. It's got more of a pear-shaped body to it, a little bit like a small lute that mm-hmm. is bowed. Um, and then the... Uh, one that I know the most about, the Lyra de Braccio. Um, so it was used in the Renaissance um, by, like, troubadours and things like that, uh, poet musicians <laughs> in the 15th and 16th centuries. Um, and that one's really interesting. So it's a little bit bigger than a violin. Um, and it had what's called drone strings, mm-hmm. which is a feature of a lot of um, Renaissance and Baroque music, which are, it's kind of funny looking. So like picture a violin type instrument, but then on sort of the top of like, you've got like the, the strings and then like above those strings off to the side, there's like two extra strings just sort of like hanging out Mm -hmm. also there and they aren't um 
actually above the neck so they can't be like depressed and so you can't you don't change the pitch of those they just always are played and they're sort of like a drone bass note underneath all okay. everything that you're okay. playing okay. Um, to make I'll, it sound like echoed and better <laughs> well more like a chord it's just got a, oh, it's like okay. a root note that's always playing okay it's always being played so they're always they were played with like multiple stops which means like you're playing several strings at one time and so you'd pretty much just always be playing this drone note in addition to other notes that you're playing on the other strings. Hmm. Um, so it just keeps it all in one key. Uh, and that's a very interesting kind of an instrument. I'll play you a, a clip of someone playing a modern reproduction of a viol de bra- or lira de braccio. It's also called a viol de braccio. Um, I know it mostly because of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he calls them. There's also the counterpart the uh lira de gamba which so lira de braccio just means um like liar of the arms (laughs) and then uh lira de gamba just means liar of the legs so the you know the one is played up here like a violin and the other is played down here like a cello yeah yeah (laughs) just you know where they go um but the the funny thing is um there's a lot of like uh, artistic representations of like Orpheus and Apollo mm-hmm. playing uh, Lyra de Braccio's, um, even though those instruments absolutely didn't. Did, I mean, you know, Orpheus and Apollo didn't exist. exist yeah. But, you know, <laughs> they're imagined to be figures of antiquity. Yeah. And these instruments did not exist in antiquity. Well, that's what the Renaissance did, too. Well, they yeah, just, like, actually. Fast the, and loose with history. Well, the, and especially, like, yeah, in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, people just didn't really have a concept of, like, other periods being different. And so, yeah, there'd be, like, biblical depictions of people wearing what would have been contemporary dress. Because that's just, like, well, that's just clothes. Yeah. Like, especially because fashion changed so slowly that it was just, like, everybody just dresses like this. This is just what people wear. This is clothes. So, like that, musical instruments, they just have, you know, the first musician of humans playing this, you know, somewhat (laughs) modern instrument. Uh, But I think that that's a pretty cool kind of a... I just, I really like Renaissance music. It just sounds so interesting to me. So I really like hearing Lyra de Braccio's. Um, but then uh, the sort of modern violin um, came about uh, in the 17th century um, by, uh, you know, instrument makers like the Amati family and, um, and of course, Antonio Stradivari, mm-hmm. very famous. Uh, and so, like between the 16th and 19th centuries, they sort of made different changes to the instrument to that developed it into what we would recognize as a mm-hmm. violin. They made the fingerboard a little bit longer to play higher notes. Um, they tilted it a little more to change the volume of the instrument. Um, they uh, they started sort of constructing them differently. Uh, they used to like nail and glue them together, where uh, whereas later the neck was like attached to the body after completely assembling the body. Um, and then the chin rest mm-hmm. was invented in the early nineteenth century. But I want to play for you um, somebody 
playing a lira de braccio because it's just a cool sounding thing. Uh, this one's pretty good. I'll just play you a little clip of it. So this is a modern reconstruction of an instrument. Mm -hmm. Can I see it? Yeah, it's just a big violin. <laughs> but you can hear that yeah. drone happening mm -hmm. the whole time. Yeah. It just sounds like they have an accompaniment almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like there's two of them. Mm-hmm. But it's just one. Yeah. You just have those strings being played constantly. You can kind of see them above the neck there. Oh, yeah. They're just hanging out up there. So that is the ancestor of the violin. Cool. So today we're doing a new entry in Lessons Animation Taught Us because Disney Plus just came out and so we're watching a lot of cartoons. <laughs> Each of us specifically has one that we've been watching a lot of ourselves, though I've watched a lot of mine. A lot as of well. yours too. <laughs> um, what order do you want to talk about them in? Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so again, Star Wars fever up in here. Mm -hmm. Um, and I never really got to watch too much of Star Wars Rebels, and now with a password to Disney Plus, I am able to complete my sort of viewing of Rebels. I did mainly stick to. Um, lists of episodes that were more important to like the main plot just because I was being impatient and, <laughs> and then you couldn't even do that oh I was I was giving it because I mean it's a it's a it's a younger audience skewed show sure um and some of it's just a little stupid <laughs> <laughs> um so I just wanted like to see the cool force shit yeah um and it's and not that like you know, that's not necessarily a lesson that I would learn while watching animation this week, just to skip around. Um, but, you know, just it's cool to see where these showrunners are taking the Star Wars stuff through different but still similar animation. Because obviously it's still 3D, 3D animation like Clone Wars, mm -hmm. but slightly different style, a little less... Um, it's not as intricate and not as um it's a, it's a little more cheaply not as produced. stylized it's probably a bit more cheaply produced just a little bit yeah it's less um i don't know the word for it um animations per second or something like it just, yeah, it just yeah. seems like it's a little cheaper yeah um which i mean it's a tv show and they just depends on you know what the budget is yeah um but it it was it was really fun to sort of to 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 Watch it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's do the uh, lessons animation taught us thing. Like, what do you think? Yeah, especially, it is kind of interesting because this isn't something that you really watched a lot of when you were younger. Yeah. But watching it now, what do you feel like the sort of impressions that it 
would be making on a younger audience? Like, what do you think it's yeah. telling you? Um, I think it, I, I might get sort of mixed up with other Star Wars stuff that I'm consuming right now. Yeah, just you're just, I'm just mainlining going, it. I'm just mainlining it. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been playing uh, Fall Jedi Fallen Order and just finished it. So that's also going to be a little bit wrapped up into it. Yeah. But... But, like, specifically the stories of, like, uh, you know, the characters yes. in so Rebels. Yes. So the, char- the, the story of Ezra. Yes. Um, the main character of Rebels. Um, it's very much like... And, and I feel like it's similar to Anakin's story in a little... In a couple ways. Like, mm-hmm. you can't just be making reckless decisions because you are a Jedi. It's like, a responsibility. Just because you're a Jedi does not mean... You can go out there and just because you have the rank of general because you're automatic Jedi, like yeah, or the automatic yeah. rank of general, um, you this can't. Is, you, this is a huge responsibility a huge that responsibility, you are. Yeah. yeah. And especially when your life is in danger because you're being hunted. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be careful with your decisions because they not only affect your life, but also the lives of your friends around you. Um, mm-hmm. So you feel like a lot of it is about being responsible yeah. to to the people around you and... it is it's very much that and they you know Ezri Ezri <laughs> Ezra learns that um as does um his master yes let's talk about him because he's great yeah I'm blanking on his name uh well and he's got like multiple names right <laughs> <laughs> um but his master um you know was sort of forced into being a master you know when there's so few jedi left and they're just sort of fighting for survival like you can't just like meet another one and be like okay bye right you know you have to sort of stick together and sort of near the end of the show uh he has to deal with his apprentice you know disobeying his orders um and um kanan kanan thank you uh he loses his sight. He loses his sight, which is really, um, I don't know necessarily what I have to say about that in particular, other than, you know, he like gets a cool mask for a while. <laughs> and then he has, well, I will actually, I think there is important parts of that, um, because he learns a lot about what the force actually is while he, um, can't see. Right, it changes his way of understanding the world and leaves him open to new ideas because yeah. he has to be, because he can't, I mean, to, yeah. you know, no pun intended, look at the world yeah. in the same way. And that's one of the things I love about not only Rebels, but also Clone Wars has a little bit of this as well, is expanding your understanding of what the Force is and does, and also giving you better perspective on our world. Um, so he meets, uh, I was going to say the Babadook, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Bendu, yeah. um, who is a giant, like sort of cool alien ape guy who, um, it, it you, just basically the animation you assume is also blind physically. Yeah. Cause they have similar, um, white out, whited out eyes. Yeah. That's um, kind of visual shorthand. Yeah. Um, and he's, he basically teaches Kanan, uh, you know, you're afraid of all these things, but because you can't see them. And then Kane's like, duh. <laughs> yeah, it's really scary when you cannot see. And then he's see. like, oh, and then he, I don't remember exactly how he words it, but he's like, you have to see yourself first. Mm-hmm. And then you'll understand your relationship to the outside world. Mm-hmm. So he's afraid of these spiders. 
And then he's like, why are you afraid of these spiders? He's like, because they want to eat me. Are you sure about that? Mm-hmm. What is your relationship to these spiders? Because what is your relationship to yourself? And then he finds out, oh, they're afraid of me. Mm-hmm. And that's why they want to eat me because they're afraid of me. But if I don't threaten them then because I cool. understand myself, yeah. then they're then we're chill. Um. So yeah, he learns a lot. And I think that's really, you know, and it's it's not exactly a clear cut of like how that message in anime in the show will translate to an audience and like what exactly they'll take away immediately Uh or understand. But it's sort of just, you know, giving a younger audience in 20, whatever year it came out, probably 2017 or 18, um, you know, a better understanding of, you know, self-reflection, 2014, 2014, um, self-reflection and Jedi are always about that, but like they're kind of just talk and don't show. And this is the show definitely shows you a little bit more of like this is you know what the force is it's not a weapon mm-hmm. it's not a cool tool it's not something that makes you do cool flips and i'm really glad yeah i'm glad that the um, more recent star wars media is talking about that idea more yeah the jedi are not holier than thou yeah the yeah the jedi are not the final word on the force and the force is not just superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and I feel like especially, you know, before this sort of new round of Star Wars stuff, mm-hmm. the expanded universe was getting really in the weeds with just like, and this guy has this superpower. Yeah, this, and this guy's guy got guy lightning. This, this guy's super- got... And it's like, it, almost like a video gaming. Yeah. Where it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, oh, the power-ups that you get. And it's just like, you know, that's not... It's much better if it's not that. Yeah. <laughs> like, playing... A, having just played a Star Wars video game... Yes. They really limit you on your force powers. Yeah. The one cool special one you get is um, slow down. Slow down. Which is very cool and very special for this character. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems that, like, the the really special thing that that character has is force empathy. Yeah. Like that's so great that he, his he big learns power and grows. <laughs> is that he like under, he, he can touch an object and know its history and know about yeah. the person who owns that thing. Yeah. And it's like, he gets, his power is understanding. Yeah. Like and, what? And that's, and that's something we've seen other people have, you know, sort of feeling the sort of the sure, gravity of, sure. of some of an object but, but like not necessarily learning from it personal like specific personal empathetic relation to somebody yeah. like that's that's unique and for that to be like the big thing that the video game protagonist does and like, also not great. only that like in the last act changes his mind about something uh-huh big deal like, like how cool is that yeah that was a big deal. that a assumedly straight white cisgender cisgender male protagonist able-bodied male protagonist is changing his mind because of what some women are talking to him about (laughs) wow women of color even (laughs) yeah so but anyway back to rebels but yeah i I see the same thing going on in rebels where they're showing that it's like no the most important thing is not having the best powers and being the strongest fighter It's, it's the flexibility to learn and change. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just the Bendu's really cool because he, he's gray. 
He's the he's, yeah. He's, he's in the middle of the force. He he's a little pacifist, but like, why is that a bad thing? Right. He's just like, I don't have anything to do with this petty stuff. That yeah. You're he's doing. like, I am the force. The force doesn't pick sides. Yeah. Like he will fight to defend things yeah. if he feels that it's worthy, but he's not going to get involved in. These... But he sort of fights everybody in that moment. Right. Because <laughs> he's, he's like, like he's I like, need to shut this whole thing down. He, he's like, I'm not a soldier. I'm the storm. Yeah. And so he's like, <laughs> I don't, because he's not picking a side in no, that he's moment. Picking he's picking his, like, his, his planet. He's, he's picking his planet. He's like, you, you guys do whatever you want to do, but you're not going to do it here. Yeah. He's like, you're all you're Get, all you're grounded banished you're banished from my planet get out i don't want to see you again <laughs> yeah like while you were chill i was okay with you hanging out here but you're not chill anymore and you have to leave yeah and that's great but yeah it just it's very cool to see you know we always talk about the light side of of the force and the dark side of the force those don't exist right the force is the force and the then force, it's like people the force who is, use some, it. is something that exists People are dark on the dark side, or people are on the light side, or people are in the middle. And I really hope, and I'm not, I, I'm, I want to see that in this third final movie in the yeah. trilogy. JJ, we, we, know, don't, we know what we want, but are you capable? I don't think JJ's going to do it. I don't think JJ's going to do it. Ryan would have. Ryan would have. He was going for that, I think. Yeah. With Luke freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> and Ray being like, "What?" Yeah. Um. But I don't think JJ's gonna. Well, do and it. also that video I, I showed you of Freddie Prince Jr. having a little bit of podcast <laughs> rant. I loved so that. So Freddie Prince Jr. is the voice of, um, what's his face that we literally just said the name uh, of? Uh. Uh. <laughs> uh. Kanan. Kanan. Yes. <laughs> He's the voice of Kanan. Um. And so he has had a lot of contact with. Dave Filoni, who is the current runner of the Star Wars animated shows, mm-hmm. who studied under George Lucas for all of the the right. the magic of 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 Star Wars and the whole you know all of it. He's the boss of the cartoons. He's the boss the boss of the cartoons, so he knows what's happening, and he gets to decide what happens from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had a little. Um, Freddie Prinze Jr. had a bit of a rant. It was great, and it was really great about. Uh, balance. Yes. And I think it, the takeaway from that rant... <laughs> it was a not, lot. Not just, like, him being annoyed with, like, what people Right, he was happen. making a real point. He was making a point, like, the Force and sort of the, the takeaway of Star Wars itself is uh-huh. not, like, good guys win. Right. It's, or, it's about, like... It's about balance. Mm-hmm. And ha- I don't I don't know exactly how that yeah, relates to our socioeconomic political situation. Yeah, just look this up because we can't summarize his point as well as he makes it. Yes. Just just go watch Freddie Prince Jr. yell about Star Wars. Yes. It's very good. It's very good, and it just he makes some good points, and it's it's also you know really cool to you know think about what the future of Star Wars holds mm-hmm. if we do more exploration, especially in main entries to the series of the middle and that is something and i and i think to go back to lessons animation taught us like what young people are going to be taking away from star wars you know what is it what is the force what are jedi and what does that mean and for it to be more about like being responsible and you know i almost get certain like in a in a very abstract way certain sort of environmental messages oh i wouldn't even say abstract like especially in rebels they have so many encounters with nature 
helping them if yeah. they listen to it. Right. And it's it's not about, you know, the 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 truth of the force is not about being as powerful as possible, but being respectful and being uh, and listening and listening and caring and participating in the world, yeah. not controlling the world. A good example would be cuddling with the the what are they called the low cat no the uh the cats um the lo- loath cats loath cats cuddling with them instead of being the stupid stormtroopers running off and shooting at them it's <laughs> the funniest thing they're like we have to abandon our post immediately in order to go cat. chase these stupid animals that were just purring at us yeah they're just all these fucking cats we gotta go and chase them up a mountainside because we're stormtroopers right so funny and then there's the fucking cool loath wolves that are like oh let's just travel across a planet very uh yeah oh yeah with their cool like portal like yeah. planet wormhole thing yeah, yeah that was they crazy were just going light speed <laughs> yeah it was great but yeah and, and yeah and very environmental meshes there's like it's sort of like the way I think about it is um, you, you can't differentiate your brain from your body mm-hmm. because your brain and your body are the same thing. They're so interconnected. Mm-hmm. That is us and nature. Right, yeah. And and that's what the force is. The force it's, is, It's yeah. what connects everything, everything to everything else. It's not... And I, I that's, again, with uh, that scene in um, The Last Jedi when... Uh, Luke is like, that is not what the force is. I will tell you what the force is. Like, it's not just a power that you use. It is everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's very cool. And and I'm glad that this generation of Star Wars fans is coming up with that idea rather than, oh, it's a superpower and some people have lightning and some people have choke and some people (laughs) have, like, it's like, it's not, it's, these aren't, it's not superpowers. Yeah. I like that. And I, th- I think we'll also in learning more about the abstract connection to the force, we're going to get cool powers anyway, just by default. Yes. Because it's course. like, once you realize that it's a more than just push and pull, yeah. then you're going to get like, oh, this person can fucking turn invisible. This person can like, yeah, you know. there's other ways of, yeah. of channeling this force. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm getting sort of, um, avatar feelings where oh, yeah. with like bending and it being oh, so, so much right. more complicated yeah mm-hmm. uh yeah um, and i like that kind of a system way better because it's like yeah if this is something that is that people can access like why would it be so limited to certain uses like people that if there's one thing humans do they just they try to use whatever they have for whatever they need mm-hmm. it's great yeah and, and I think we even get a hint of it in Mandalorian. Yeah, when which is little not... baby Yoda. Yes, looks like he's reaching up to try and heal mm-hmm. our main character. But that's not a cartoon. That's all real. <laughs> it's all real. <laughs> anyway, it's all true. That's Star Wars. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about any of the other like other characters in uh, Rebels, like Sabine or? Um. In this watch through, I didn't sort of focus on their storylines. I sort of stuck to the main, like, Lothal, Ezra Ezra stuff. Yeah. Um, And that's generally where my interests lie, just because I'm such a Jedi fan. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the Mandalorians aren't necessarily my favorite thing. 
Um, well, that may change. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, we're lear- I'm learning more, and it just you know, my attention span, you mm-hmm. know, that sort of thing. Um, but I do love. Uh, I'm mis- blanking on her name, but the the pilot of, of Hera. Hera, she's so brave and cool and smart and awesome. She really is, and I think she's a really good not that like not like to say like toy like res- representation like yeah. But I mean, we don't see a lot of great examples of what Twi'leks get to do because mm-hmm. in most of the main series entries, they're like slaves or. Mm-hmm. you know just background characters background scary people or like yeah but not just that like you know for her to be such an important figure in the rebellion and be a woman mm-hmm. like she because you know we have mon mothma but she's sort of she's very distant distant even in this show she doesn't pilot a ship she doesn't you know she's a baltician mm-hmm. and i think hera seems to be sort of the most devoted yeah of the rebellion like yeah. she is she's like i'm out there doing this shit <laughs> and i will not stop and i, I will, will never stop. stop like her literal husband dies yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know if they're actually married but like but yeah, her, her partner her partner dies saving her life and the rebellion uh-huh and and her faith is never shaken yes never. also she was carrying his child she has a baby in the in the Ooh, in the prologue or that blog. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> and I think she names him um, one of those like uh, really cheesy uh, Star Wars kids names from the original book series. Oh. It's like. Yeah. Yeah, Jedi, Jedi son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, I think is his name. <laughs> and this is Kyle. And th- <laughs> Darth Kyle. <laughs> Kylo Ren. Oh, no. <laughs> I ruined it. Uh, Ky- his name is actually Kyle O. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Kyle. I mean, his real name is Ben. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, and, no, she, and then she kicks ass. There's also um, uh, Ahsoka. Yeah. He was just fucking, like, the... Poster child for the Great Jedi right now. Yeah. Like, the only person on that team right now. Yeah. Um, and she's got the coolest coolest fucking lightsabers, too. She's got the white two light, white lightsabers. One is the Shota. I believe that's what they're called. It's like the smaller lightsaber. I don't know. It's like a, a samurai sword term or mm. something. Correct me if I'm wrong, internet. Um, and I learned while doing some YouTube poll last night um, that she purified red kyber crystals... And they turned white. That's using the force. So Isn't that fucking cool? cool? <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. <sighs> amazing. She's so amazing. I love her so much. So hey, if if you're out there and you're trying to get into like the Star Wars animation, um, survive season one of, of the Clone Wars. Ahsoka's a little annoying that first season. She becomes one of the best Star Wars characters ever. Yeah, she's got some, like, cameos in Rebels, and she's amazing. Yeah, and she's probably going to continue being a main character in coming going going forward. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. So, yeah, it's about f- fucking being a part of the world, huh? Yeah. It's great. And being responsible to that. And just being aware that not everything is black and white. Mm-hmm. Love it. I've been watching Gargoyles. 
great. Okay, because this. What are some le- lessons you're learning while watching gargoyles? <laughs> Literacy is important. We literally just watched an episode while I was eating lunch before we recorded. And it was such a spoon-fed... Well, which is weird, because most episodes are not like that. It's It was a very... I mean, it was nice at the end. Yeah. It was a nice message of, like, how important books are. Books are magic. They are magic, and that's great. Usually, they're not so, like, you know, moralistic in that way. It's really not that kind of a show most of the time. So that was very strange that that was the one episode you happened to see. There's one episode that was a little bit like that also, but I don't get to it because it was a really weird episode. I was, like, kind of shocked for several reasons by this episode. Well, I do understand why they would be pushing literacy when there's, like, I just watched one episode and it was, like, just so many literary references. And there are a lot. I mean, that one was especially heavy, but it, I mean, it's a very, um, I mean, it's very gothic and it's just got a lot yeah. of like, it just draws a lot on. Well, obviously a showrunner who's like using these references wants the audience to be like, or like hint to them like, hey, if you hey, pick up a book, you might understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Hey kids, <laughs> books are Shakespeare. pretty cool. And also there's <laughs> monsters in them. Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, um, so this show uh, premiered in 1994 when I was three years old. <laughs> right on. Um, and it ran through 1997, got three seasons, and I definitely watched it a little bit, but I was so young. Um, and then I'm sure that it, you know, episodes re-ran. Right. And so I just watched, like, every time I had a chance to watch it, I was like, this show rules. Um, but it was, you know... It, it was just sort of in the, you know, mid to late 90s, and then it just went away. Do you remember what station it originally aired um, on? Because I did watch that Originally, it, it was syndicated, so it aired on various channels, and okay. then it was an ABC show. Okay, got it. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Um, hence Disney. Plus. Yes, <laughs> hence Disney. Uh, so, real uh, brief sort of summary of the premise. <laughs> if I can do that. Uh, we, we begin in the late 900s in a castle in Scotland. These gargoyles, um, live at and protect this Scottish castle. Um, it's very vaguely, it's just vague Scotland. And there's some princess there. She's just made Outlander. Well. (laughs) But way before that. Way before. (laughs) But, um... And they're under attack by the Vikings, and the gargoyles are, like, the only thing standing between the castle and the Vikings. And then one day, oh no, the castle guard, the, the captain of the guard, he betrays them. <gasps> He's He tries to get the gargoyles out of the way so that the Vikings can sack the castle. Um, and bad things, they think that the princess has been killed, and this magus, who is the princess's, like number one guy or like advisor Mm -hmm. is so overwrought with grief that he casts a spell on the gargoyles to turn them permanently to stone until the spell specifies the castle rises above the clouds and this is his punishment for them failing to protect the princess okay um goliath 
the main gargoyle was not there at the time, so he shows up and he's like, what did you do? And he has the princess with him, and the mage is like, oh shit, I thought that she died, oh fuck, I just, oh, I, this was bad, what, oh no, I really regret doing this. Uh, there's no undo button on I the can't. spell. Well, yeah, the the page that has the counter spell got burned, and oh, so... Okay. Well, he should have read his book better. Yeah, it's a big book, he didn't know all the spells by heart. So, he's like, I can't undo it, I'm sorry, I don't know, and Goliath's like, fine, then turn me to stone too. And if we all wake up one day, then we all wake up. Um, but that's just, I have to be with my, my clan. <laughs> and so they're all turned to stone until David Xanatos, billionaire, <laughs> super villain. <laughs> we don't know this yet. Blonde guy with glasses, right? No, 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 no. no? He's the guy with the ponytail. He's played by, um... Oh, God, what's his name? Okay, because I, I thought I saw him, but it was just, it must have been a different guy. No, that's his assistant. Okay. Um, no, Jonathan Frakes okay. plays Xanatos. He's um, Commander Riker from Star Wars The Next Generation. He's also the host of uh, Beyond Belief Factor Fiction. False. Never happened. That guy. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 <laughs> that, yes, yes, yes. He yes, plays yes, David Xanatos. Amazing. <laughs> yes, and he's great. Um, so, David Xanatos, he knows about the gargoyles, and he physically moves the castle from Scotland to the top of his New York skyscraper. Yeah. And so then when the sun sets, the gargoyles, oh, they all come back because this castle is now above the clouds. And they're like, oh, shit, it's a thousand years from when we went to sleep. This is wild. Um, and then turns out Xanatos is a bad guy, and then they have to, you know, be superheroes. Um, and they make friends with Elisa Maza, who is the coolest <laughs> she is cool. a an nypd detective and unlike just about any cartoon protagonist at that time she is a woman of color in a position of authority and she kicks ass she's got a cool red jacket she's got a cool red jacket um yeah it, in fact we see her parents in one episode it seems like her um father is latino and her mother is black oh cool and she's got a brother um so, the thing with Gargoyles, and, and I'm still in the middle of season two of three seasons, um, their whole thing is that they are natural protectors, and mm -hmm. that is their job. I, I haven't seen, if, if the show gets into it, I haven't gotten there yet as to why those Gargoyles were protecting that specific castle, but like that is sort of their mission, that is their duty. And gargoyles apparently are just, like, natural creatures. Yeah. They're not, like, made. Yeah. They just, uh, are. And for some reason they turn to stone when the sun is up. It's fine. Uh, but it is just in their nature to protect humans. For some reason. Yeah. They turn to stone when the sun comes up. And then when they wake up in the evening... They shed that stone, so really, they just, they just make a lot of stone. Yeah, just flakes of stone. I mean, it's a cool, it's very dramatic every time. And sometimes oh, yeah. they, like, wake up, like, multiple times in an episode. An episode will, you know, cover mm -hmm. a couple of days. And every time they wake up, it's like, like <laughs> <laughs> and just, 
<laughs> stone shattering and growling and shrieking. But it just makes me think of like werewolf transformations where it's like, yeah. the per- like especially the versions where like the human skin rips off every time. Well, like, the only one that I've seen that's like that is in the Van Helsing movie. I've never seen that anywhere else. Well, but it, it makes you think like, so like they have to get new skin every time. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, and they even like start getting into like, you know, scientists trying to figure out. So, you know, David Xanatos, he's trying to like, he wanted to use the gargoyles for his nefarious purposes. Um, but now he's, you know, trying to like replicate gargoyles that will be, you know, loyal to him in whatever. He's made some like robot gargoyles. And then there's cold stone, <laughs> which is a whole thing I want to get into. Sorry, I'm laughing at my own joke. <laughs> um... <laughs> But there was a mad scientist that worked for him, uh, voiced by Tim Curry, <laughs> who was talking about how it seems like during the daytime, the gargoyles, like, absorb energy from the sun. And that's the only way to, like, that, the, the, that a body like that can get enough energy because they would have to eat, like, so much because yeah, their bodies take huge. so much energy. Yeah. So, um they apparently photosynthesize. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's fine. Or like reptiles. Reptiles. Uh, well, they don't know. get energy from the sun. They're not like plants. No, but like they can't function properly without warmth. Sure. But it's not warmth for the gargoyles. It's literally the literally sun sunshine. being up. Yeah. Like it's daytime. Um, but yeah, the scientist was like, yes, maybe they take energy from the sun while they sleep. Like Superman. Sure, except Superman doesn't turn to stone. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> what if it's a rainy day? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Now, we have to read that uh, Frank Miller comic to talk about that one. Oh, we should go to the comic store after this. Sure. Um, but, okay, so there's some really interesting sort of topics that this show touches on, and some of that may be that it was the 90s and people were less worried about what was appropriate for children to be watching on television <laughs> i don't know it was very like television to the babysitter right but then also like okay so one it, i mean and we just have different values now than we did in the 90s as far as like what what is okay for you know to tell children there's a lot of guns in this yeah. show a surprising amount and it's like okay so we're normalizing police officers just firing their weapons all the time whatever's going on we're just shooting and it's like that's i mean alisa's great but she fires her weapon a lot and that's in real life a much bigger deal yeah than they make it out to be in the show um now they do have an episode to sort of um address how dangerous guns are in season one, there's an episode where the gargoyle Brooklyn has been enjoying a cowboy movie in the movie theaters. They like to sneak into the movie theaters. And he's excited about cowboys and gunfights. And he goes to Elisa's house and she's like, oh, hey, I'll make us some dinner. Just hang out. And he finds her gun oh, and he's no. playing with it. Oh, God. And he accidentally shoots her. Oh, my God. And she gets, she falls into a coma and is hospitalized. This is in season one oh of this God. children's television show in 1994. I'm so traumatized just hearing about it. It was wild. I could not believe what I was seeing. So he's like, he freaks out. He doesn't know what to do, especially because he's a gargoyle. So he can't like 
call an ambulance. And he's the one with like the frilled ears too. Yeah, right? he's the kind of chubby one. Yeah, he's really he's voiced by the guy who plays Patrick Starr. In <laughs> yeah, SpongeBob. he's the one that's illiterate. Yes, well, several of them are illiterate, <laughs> uh, but he's one of the illiterate ones. Yeah, he's the kind of goofy yeah. one. Mm-hmm. And yes, he uh, doesn't he doesn't know what to do. So what he does is he takes. He flies her over while he doesn't fly. The gargoyles can't fly. They can only glide. This is very interesting. Well, they're heavy. They are. And those (laughs) wings just can't, they can't actually, yeah. So they just glide. So he takes her to a hospital and leaves her like by an ambulance outside. And then she's taken into the hospital and, you know, they take care of her. Now there's some like crooks that she's been after recently. And so they are suspected of having shot her. And so, like, the gargoyles, besides Brooklyn, are, like, trying to hunt down these bad guys thinking they're responsible yeah. for shooting her, um, when really <laughs> it was Brooklyn. And Ooh. it was just, it's this whole thing. So that guy also was a bad guy, and he didn't need to be locked up, but he didn't right. have anything to do with Elisa being shot. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, in the very end, like, Brooklyn, has, like, admits what he did. Well, wow. especially because, like, she knows, you know, when she finally wakes up, she knows what happened. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I, I you know, that, that was, I, can't, I can't, you know, I'm, I can't believe what I did. And I was so irresponsible. And she's like, hey, just, you know, now we've learned something for the future. And he's like, I'm never going to touch a gun again. And it's like this whole thing. And it's like, this is a children's yeah. show in 1994. Like, it's this whole thing where he's like, I'm sorry, I'll never touch a gun again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's okay. But but it was just like a while yeah. that there was this whole episode about Well, like, I think that's good though, safety. especially because there's so much. So yeah. Many, yeah, yeah. So much gun violence in the show. There is a lot of gun violence. Although there's a lot of lasers too. Lots of lasers. Um, but then lots of actual, you know, bullets, uh, <laughs> especially being fired by like the good guys. Um, you know, the bad guys have their high tech laser weapons yeah. and their hover jets. Their hover jets. Uh, yeah, it's very cool high tech stuff. Um, so one thing that I really so I knew that this show was uh, definitely had an effect on certain. Kids, especially girls, who grew up to be big fans of, like, uh, The Shape of Water. (laughs) 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 You know the sort. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's a definite, like, very slow burn romance going on between Goliath yeah. and Elisa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Goli- now one of the main bad... There's a lot of bad guys in this show, and it's very interesting. It's it's really complex. Like, it's got this whole continuity that a lot of children's shows did not have at the time. Um, where Goliath's, like, former love, Demona, is, like, one of the big bads of the show. <gasps> she, like, you know, has become embittered towards humans it's kind of a you know professor x magneto type oh she's thing. the she's the scary gargoyle right she's got like long black hair red hair okay yeah i don't remember much <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm like drawing on decades old flashes of memory yeah no no yeah she's like one of the only girl gargoyles and she's super cool um but she just you know hates humans and um and so yeah there's this like romance between goliath and elisa that's you know so i mean he's just always you know carrying her through the air in his arms Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and um in the the finale of season one where he's sort of so that's the episode where it kind of solidifies where he's like okay we are protectors and i'm confident in our 
in my identity as that. And now this city is our home. So we're going to protect the people of this city. And it's kind of interesting that it took until the finale of season one to sort of reach that point where they're like, we are the defenders of New York City. Uh, but, you know, it was like this big moment and, you know, he had to face a lot of stuff. And at the end of the episode, Elisa says, uh, are you okay? Do you need anything? And Goliath says, yes, a detective. And it's like... <laughs> oh, like just so swoony <laughs> you're just like oh wow this is a, very a, doctor who yeah. like well, what do you need a doctor yeah but it's like a, yes a detective and it's like it's this moment where it's like it's you know everybody it's not like an intimate moment between them but it's just this like yeah this yeah. moment you know mm -hmm, where you're like mm -hmm. that and then of course he scoops her up and they fly off into the city and it's like Oh, <laughs> and you know, weird girls love that. Uh, so, yeah, I've been thinking about sort of what, because it's not, you know, unique. It, it It's essentially a superhero series, but in different clothes. Yeah. Uh, you know, with these different intersecting storylines and multiple obstacles and villains and, you know, these big dramatic stories. But the interesting thing is it almost feels like this is even better suited to those kinds of things because it does have these sort of gothic medieval trappings and it's, you know, it's all very um, literary and uh, dramatic. Yeah, it doesn't feel as forced as, instead, like, an ex a counterexample would be, like, Spider-Man, animated Spider-Man being yeah. like, oh, don't play with guns, kids. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. very after-school special feeling. Yeah, well, and just what I mean is, you know, like, superhero comics, you know, have all these long, complex storylines and stuff. And just for my money, that kind of, like, complicated drama is very well suited to a more yeah. dramatic and gothic mm -hmm. setting um, rather than, like, you know... Camp. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that that is sort of, you know, the, it, is a, it is a story about people who are dedicated to protecting others. Um, and, you know, that's, that's Goliath, but that's also Elisa. She is a cop and she, you know, she's the one who sort of gets Goliath's head right about, like, what your purpose can be and, you know, how he's got to, like, adapt to this <laughs> new mm -hmm. world a thousand years later, but essentially it's still the same thing yeah. where it's, you know, this, I am a person whose job it is to defend people who need defending. Um, and that's, you know, it's kind of cool. I mean, obviously we've got sort of different, more complicated feelings about police officers these right. days. But, you know, at least she's like a woman of color. Yeah. So that's... Now, now I'm imagining Brooklyn Nine-Nine with gargoyles. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's already a good funny show, but gargoyles? Yeah. <laughs> Could be bad. Gargoyles! <laughs> so there was something that I said I wanted to get back to, and I think it was not just the gun episode, though it may have been. <laughs> that does sound like... Uh, you know, similar to the literacy episode. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. These like just little one-offs because normally, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I what I wanted to get back to is there's this 
fascinating character called Coldstone. And it's funny because I just think of the ice cream. Yeah. But that didn't exist in 1994. <laughs> um, so he was um, Goliath's rookery brother. So the rookery is like where the gargoyle eggs yeah. are. And they're all hatched together. And um, so this character now gargoyles don't generally have names they only have name goliath had a name for some reason the humans just decided to start calling him a name but the other gargoyles never had names until just recently when elisa's like i need to call you something um so his brother he's now called coldstone he had been destroyed back in the viking raid and xanatos took his stone parts and basically frankensteined him with robot parts oh cool and so he's this very tormented cyber gargoyle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, but in an episode I just watched this morning, turns out Xanatos didn't just use the one brother's stone parts. He's got multiple gargoyles so in there. Up. And all their souls are trapped in him. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it, it's specifically two others. And then, of course, the, it goes back to this very dramatic shit that it's alluded to that happened way back a thousand years ago, where one of these gargoyles was Coldstone, the brother's, um, like, his love. Mm -hmm. And then this other guy who had some kind of vendetta against Goliath. And so this other guy, Iago-like, tells the brother, no, uh, can't you see Goliath is stealing her away mm -hmm. from you and turned him against him and this whole thing. And so now there's like this weird conflict of personalities happening in Coldstone's mind. Jeez and, Louise. and Goliath has to like inception into Coldstone with a, like a virtual reality device to go into his brother's mind to sort out what's going on with these oh, multiple people in his head. It was crazy. Uh, it was super cool though. Um, but yeah, he's the he's a very interesting figure because more than the other gargoyles, he very much does not belong because he's not even like entirely a gargoyle anymore. Um and he's it seemed that he had died in the first episode that he appeared and this new one he'd just come back. So I'm not sure where things are going with him. Um but it was kind of interesting to see this like it, what what appeared to be like a mental illness mm -hmm. and then it turns out no it's actually literally <laughs> other people in his head <laughs> but for him to like he was just very confused mm -hmm. and Goliath is like you know come home with me brother like you can rejoin our clan and then suddenly he's like acting weird and he doesn't know where he is and they're like what's going on and he's being very erratic and they have to like figure out how to help him and that was kind of cool that you know they they were like we no I don't want to turn on him like he's we don't know what's wrong, but yeah. we want to help him because he's our brother. Um, and so that was very cool for, for Goliath to be committed to standing by him, um, despite not really knowing what the problem was. He, uh, and that's Goliath. That's Goliath. He's just like, oh, you're my brother. And it's got Keith David's voice, and it's great. I love Keith David. <laughs> he's got the best voice in the entire world. Uh, lots of great voices in this show, too. Um, you know, classic, uh, just real classic voice actors like, um, oh, I'm blanking on names right now, uh, Ed Asner, Frank Welker, Frank Welker, man, it's like, he's one of the greatest, um, 
I had mentioned Jonathan Frakes was <laughs> David Xanatos. Um, just a really, really good cast. Um, Jeff Bennett as Brooklyn. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm still watching through it, but I'm just loving that it's, like, unapologetically dramatic and gothic, um, but, but ultimately it's got this message of, like, staying strong and, you know, protecting people who need you to protect them even when they don't know it or don't you know they can't appreciate it because yeah yeah, i mean they're gargoyles they stay hidden like nobody knows what they are they have to stay hidden but people are apparently not scared of them well so those guys were macbeth's (laughs) henchmen um macbeth is some kind of gargoyle hunter i don't know uh but um who sounds like um sounds a little connery yeah i mean he's just very scottish um (laughs) But yeah, when like normal people see them, they're terrified of them. They have to, you know, stay hidden and Elisa works to like keep them secret. They live in this clock tower above the police station. Um, very cool police station with like a basically <laughs> big Ben on top of it. I don't know why where that is in New York City. But um Macy's. Yeah. The Macy's police station. <laughs> It was a different time. Yeah, it was 1994. Uh, But, yeah, you know, adapting to this new world and understanding, you know, knowing that people are not always going to understand them, but still being committed to doing what is right, Mm -hmm. Um, regardless of if other people understand that they're doing that. And it's really cool. Like, I just, I'm really enjoying the animation. I've just really missed this kind of cartoon. You know, everything, and it's like, there's, I get why a lot of cartoons have changed and, uh, you know, now they're uh, CG or, you know, animated digitally, even if it it is, like, two-dimensional. But just this good old-fashioned hand-drawn shit, and Mm -hmm. it's so expressive. It's just very cool, like... In a way that I have, like, I didn't even realize I missed until I started watching it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I love the way these characters' expressions change. They're just so alive. It's great. It's great, y'all. Gargoyle slaps. <laughs> it fucking slaps. It's also good just sort of, like, background noise, too. Like, even if you're right. not super paying attention. Like, I was just having my lunch. But and I was fun. just like... Making fun of it. <laughs> it was a, it was one of the dorkier episodes. <laughs> I will I will say that. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to keep watching it. You know, uh, I had for this episode to prepare, been sort of trying to yeah pay attention to it. But I'm gonna definitely see it through to the end of season three because you we'll know have to have an update. Yeah, I'll, I'll let y'all know. You know how it all shakes out. I did. <laughs> it seems like whenever I just throw an offhand comment about a cartoon onto twitter some man will find it <laughs> a man i don't know we don't have mutual like we don't what, have what happened so i had gotten uh, now maybe there's you know they're probably going to get more into it as the series goes on because there is a lot of sort of information and background that's sort of being filled in they don't front load this yeah. stuff and it's great i like it that way but i had been under the impression that the gargoyles had been made by people. And I watched this episode, which I did like, about um, Hudson, the uh, older, the sort of yeah. mentor character. 
he uh, he was feeling insecure, like he might be, you know, too old now. Yeah, yeah, you past his me prime. About that one. Mm-hmm. And I was kind, I was like, wait, but what? What does I, age mean? What does age mean when you're a gargoyle? Like, how is he older than them? Were they not all made at the same time? Like, and then you know, with with Demona, there is sort of at this point, I understand that she was not put under the spell that froze them all for a thousand years so, so as far as i know she's been awake for a thousand years yeah. but she doesn't seem any older and she's the one that's like oh old man you you know you're past yeah. your prime and i'm like wait but isn't she a thousand years older than them <laughs> and why is he older than them in the first place and i was just tweeting about yeah. like i don't get this and then the guy is like, oh, is this your first time watching through the series? You see, and just like telling. And you're like, maybe it is my first time yeah, watching Yeah, I was like, series. well, my first time since I was six. And he's like, oh, you're in for a wild ride. And boy, and just speaking with such fucking authority on the children's cartoon Gargoyles. I'm so lucky nobody has responded to my numerous star wars tweets i don't understand and it's like it's the weirdest shit too because like it was just like okay dude like i don't give a shit i'm talking on my own personal twitter to the people who follow my personal twitter you clearly just word searched gargoyles and because you're desperate to talk to somebody about how much you know about gargoyles (laughs) Let me watch the show. I'll figure it out. You don't got to explain shit to me. I'll get there. And it was, yeah, I try to be cordial, but I'm just like, who the fuck are you, dude? Mm -hmm. I don't know you. And the last time I did this, I was tweeting about the, um, back when the first trailers for the Addams Family cartoon were coming out. I remember that. And this dude just starts telling me the history of the Addams Family. And I'm like, buddy. (laughs) Who are you? <laughs> so I don't know if it's just being a girl that attracts this, but I think I could that's do definitely without. definitely part of it. Unfortunately, I could do without. And if you want to comment on our twitters, like go to our our podcast Twitter and yeah. comment well, because that's what it's for. Yes, but also <laughs> like you know what? If you're somebody who listens to the show and you want to talk to me because of that, go ahead. I would love it. But this guy was a rando who just wanted to tell me how much he knew about gargoyles. And I can't stand for that shit. I cannot. Because it's like, this guy had no reason to find me except he was searching for gargoyles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, step off. Yeah. It's like that thing, the Ricky Gervais thing, right? Yes. He just searches his own name and then leads people to them. It's very sad. Very pathetic. Uh, whereas these men are just, you know, lonely. And they just really want somebody to be impressed by how much they know about cartoons. Yeah. And I might be, but not <laughs> when you approach me like this. You're right. I love when people know about cartoons, but not when they do it this way. <laughs> you gotta leave me alone, bro. All right. That's all I have to say about gargoyles. <laughs> <laughs> Two Disney... Um properties that could not be further well i mean maybe they're not the furthest things apart no they're really not no no. No, they're not um but yeah disney plus is bringing all these things back just you wait till we get into those disney channel original movies that i'm gonna force you to watch (laughs) but you know with like (laughs) you know the gargoyles was some you know 
for people a, a little older than me. Like, I w- I'm definitely young for Gargoyles. I was yeah. really too little to be watching it when it was airing. Yeah, it was, for us, it was very like, oh, this is a cool light show. Yeah. Not really paying attention to what's but, actually happening. But, you know, so it's, you know, people who grew up watching it, yeah. they're in their 30s now. But now, it's on Disney+. Plus. And all these new kids are going to be finding it. So I think more than ever, it is wise to be considering what animation taught us. Mm-hmm. Because Cause it's, it's currently teaching us. Yes, it's it's still there. And, you know, kids are, are finding it again. Um, and, you know, these couple things are pretty all right. So that's good. <laughs> that's, that's, I, just, I just lift the thumbs just up. Give me a little thumbs up. It's adorable. All right. I'm, I'm getting tired. Well, let's do your recommendations. I have it's so many, I can't carry them all. And it's so dark in here. It's we didn't, so dark. We didn't turn the, the light sun, on, think, and think, the sun is starting. I think the sun went behind the, the fence back there. Yeah. And so it's just like, where's I know, the light gone? Like, I've been yawning for the last 20 minutes. I know. It's not late at all. It's like not even 4 o'clock. But. Okay. So I've actually been participating in media. Yeah. So I have three recommendations. Let's do it. First one, Star Wars, Jedi, Fallen Order. This is pretty cool. Fucking threw me for so many loops. So this game, if you like action um, uh, platforming, (laughs) I couldn't think of the word, action platforming, you're going to have a good time. If you like fighting or a lot of people compare it to Dark Souls, I don't really like that whole hard, like playing a hard game. So I put it on the easiest difficulty because I love it and I'm a baby. Uh, um, I feel like on the easiest difficulty, it feels a lot like um, Jedi Academy, which I really liked. Mm -hmm. On the harder difficulties, it's a great challenge. Like when I was playing it on medium, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like... But I just was not getting through it. Like, uh-huh. I was really getting stuck. Well, and you're just, you know, you don't play video games all the time. And yeah, so you're I have, just like, not maybe two hours a night every couple nights. And, like, and that's just when you've got a game that you're playing. And yeah, sometimes you're not exactly. playing at all. So exactly. there are definitely people out there who would play that mode and be, you know, Dylan oh, yeah. could play that mode and Oh, he would fine. probably love it. But since you're, yeah, but, you but just like, don't play them a lot. I wanted to see fine. what was happening in the story. Yeah, and that's So I played fine. the story mode. <laughs> and I had a lot of fun. Um, so the, if you like those things, you should do it. But also if you just like Star Wars or like a good story, the story in it's this. It's a good Star Wars. It's good and it's beautiful. The mm-hmm. animations and the face, the mocap is oh, so yeah. good. Like the you're, you're not getting like, good. like even looking back at, um, Force Unleashed, there's, there's some ca- comparisons story wise and, you know, um, design wise, but the motion capture is so much better now. I mean, it's the next generation console, but still um, just so really cool. And then also just doing things that I've never experienced in a video game. I mean, I don't play a ton of video games, so I don't know how, how, you know, common this is, but really manipulating your story experience based on what they choose to show you. So some examples of it without getting too specific because I don't want to spoil some of the best moments for everybody. I did spoil them for you. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, you're playing a normal video game and then they make it not normal anymore. Not normal anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, then and there's like, some very cool stuff with sort of like playing with your perception and, and your expectations. Like and... you'll be cr- crawling up a wall and then, it's and then suddenly something else. you're crawling through 
you're top down. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's yeah. very cool. Yeah, very cool stuff that's like I've rarely seen outside of a Hideo Kojima game. Yeah, um, this is like Star Wars. Yeah. An EA game. Yeah, it's... I'm pretty sure. Yeah, cool stuff with sort of your expectations and your perception and stuff. I like that. Yeah. And the acting is great. Um, oh, yeah. Cameron uh, Monaghan... Monahan, I don't know how to yeah. pronounce his name. He's very, very, very good. He's very Cal. good in it. So is um, I'm blanking on her name, but I've loved her since Mad TV. Uh, Deborah Wilson. Deborah Wilson. Oh my gosh, so happy for her that she has. She's in fucking Star Wars. She must feel so fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then also that whoever does the voice for the the pilot of the ship, he's I love him a lot. Um, and then there's uh, Mirren, the the night sister. She's so cool. Oh, and then of course, um, the villain. The second sister, so cool. Mm-hmm. And once you once you like see see her, oh so cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you have other- oh, and then BD1. BD1 is the little chicken baby. A little chicken baby. It's like it's like if Wally was a baby and also a chicken. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but people perfect. said he's an AT AT with a with Wally stripped on top. Yeah, he's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, then my next recommendation. So, everybody knows my love for the magicians. So, um, I bought myself The Magician's Alice's Story, which is a graphic novel, um, in collaboration of, with Lev Grossman, the original author of the Magician series, and, uh, Lila Sturgis, uh, illustrated by Pius Bach. Um, I believe I might have done that in weird order, but... It is the story of the first magician's novel, not, it, it doesn't follow the show. The show mm-hmm. is just very different in its own thing. The first magician's novel, but from the perspective of Alice rather than Quentin. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I've talked about how I felt about listening to the ebook of The Magicians. Yes. Didn't love it. Right. This is way more digestible. Mm, I bet. Um, just because it's... A comic. <laughs> it's a comic, but it's also... Um, less, I'm blanking on the word, um, abrasive, less abrasive, um, less jaded because mm-hmm. like the, the characters in the novel are just so miserable. Yes. And like bad things happen in this, but it's so much more brief. You're not sitting there listening to them talk about it for 20 minutes, you know? Right. Or reading, reading, <laughs> reading them talk about it. Yeah. Well, if you're, you know, if you're listening to the audiobook, you are listening yeah, to them. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I wanted to do the audiobook initially because I didn't know if I would actually like the way the, the novel um, yeah. happens. Um, but yeah, this is a much easier entry than I think the, the book is, especially mm. if you like the show. Interesting. Um, and just sort of presents everything especially because there's so many differences between the book and the show mm-hmm. this is a good middle ground cool and then my final recommendation just full of them i'm just full of them i could probably do two more um is a new podcast mm. um i i've talked before about my love for um throwing shade yes um this is a podcast starring one of their frequent guests um oh my gosh my brain what happened? Just not in my brain. Uh, Rana, Rana mm-hmm. Glickman. Mm-hmm. She is a. I don't even know how to describe her. She's a mythic animal. <laughs> <laughs> so she's from like the Boston area. She's from Massachusetts, 
thick accent. Mm -hmm. Just like Boston. What you imagine when you imagine like a Boston, a Massachusetts, like social, not socialite, but like upper class. Okay. Kind of Kennedy. Yes. And so it's a new show where she gives advice. Her and Brian from Throwing Shade, they're doing an advice show. And so far, four episodes, and I'm just like hooked, and I've been playing it nonstop because her voice is just so nice to listen to. And even when she's, or I don't necessarily agree with her or don't love what she's saying, I'm just like, cool. (laughs) It's nice to hear your perspective anyway. Right, yeah. And just like her talking about like bougie stuff is so entertaining. Like she's like staying at the Four Seasons and like apparently... The first class of JetBlue is called Mint. <laughs> so she she flies Mint. Well, that's And very Brian was like, is that a new airline? <laughs> and she's like, no. That's so funny. Is Yeah, so I'm l- loving sort of like exploring her world. She has a, a coach house rather than a, a guest house. Oh my God. <laughs> new England, huh? Yep. <laughs> that's great what are your recommendations um i think i've just got the one this week um so h bomber guy whom i love he's a great um youtube video essayist on various topics i love the variety that's on his channel because he's just like a cool and smart person that i like and he's also very funny so i just like to hear what he has to say about certain topics you know he's done a response to flat earthers mm-hmm. he's uh done some videos about like uh pickup artists and how messed up that whole thing is but he also does um videos about video games and he just put out one about pathologic uh it's called pathologic is genius and here's why um it is a two hour long youtube video about the video game pathologic which uh don't feel bad if you haven't heard of it it's pretty obscure (laughs) it's this weird russian import that is just seems like the most unpleasant thing to play, <laughs> but that's apparently kind of the point. And he's it like he so he just he's like I made this video to tell you everything great about this video game because I don't recommend that you play it. <laughs> yeah, like, I played it so you don't have to. Now watch my two-hour YouTube video about it. You owe me that much. Uh, it's great. It's really. I mean, honestly, it does sound like a fascinating video game definitely not gonna play it but um but i love knowing these things about it i love (laughs) knowing what it is well that's i think the magic of youtube yeah yeah Yeah, you get to just hear different people's experiences just watch a playthrough if you can't afford it or don't want to slog through it (laughs) right well and in this it's not really a playthrough it's like a right it's like a dissection and he talks about you know what's great about it and what what it's about and why the gameplay itself contributes to that um that it is a very difficult and unpleasant game to play and that's part of the point Mm -hmm. um and it's fascinating and i love like yeah i just it's such an interesting game pathologic and apparently pathologic 2 is in the works right now um and apparently it's a it is a lot more polished and playable and so maybe that'll do better but, um, yeah, go watch this. Honestly, just go watch H-Bomber Guy. But <laughs> it's, a, it's a very interesting video about Pathologic. 
That does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, and elsewhere. Please write, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen so more nerds can find us. We appreciate it, and it really makes a difference. When you were reading that, it started off sounding like the recap voice from uh, uh, Clone Wars. <laughs> Check us out on Twitter, on Twitter. at MeritPod for updates and news. And thanks to Jonathan Colton for the use of our theme song, Fraud, from his album, Artificial Hearts. That was really good. Thank you. <laughs> Until next time, remember... No, no guilty, guilty pleasures! <laughs> you got me. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> <laughs>